Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That uh, with your AEW All Out 2022 Ultimate Preview. That's right, getting over is back once again and it is Thursday so you know exactly what that means. We are here to talk AEW but we're doing it in a little different style than normal because we have one of those four tentpole pay-per-views all out coming down this Sunday from, yes, Chicago. We will get into that as this show goes along. We have so much content for you here in the Getting Over podcast universe, if you will. Already this week, on Tuesday, we published a WWE Clash at the Castle Ultimate Preview. On Wednesday, we published an NXT Worlds Collide Ultimate Preview. Of course, today is your AEW All Out Ultimate Preview. And folks, longtime listeners of the show know what comes after Ultimate Previews, Instant Analysis. And we will hit you up with all of that this coming weekend either Saturday afternoon or perhaps a little bit later Saturday, depending what goes down. We will have a WWE Clash at the Castle Instant Analysis, and on Sunday, we will have an AEW All Out and NXT Worlds Collide two-in-one episode Instant Analysis as soon as All Out goes off the air. So you do not want to miss anything that this show has already created and will be creating for you, our Getting Overheads this week. But I would be remiss if I got into this third ultimate preview of the week without reminding you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is So please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a written review. Tell everyone why you listen and why they should subscribe. The written reviews in addition to the five-star ratings are super important. They help our audience grow. We always read new five-star reviews here on the show. And when you listen to the words that those people write, hopefully you all understand why the written reviews mean so much because many of our newest listeners are finding it through word of mouth or they're scrolling through Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever. They see the title of the show, they read some reviews and they say, wow, maybe I should give this a shot. And now they're hooked. They're getting overheads just like our longtime listeners are. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And if you're going to do that, there is no better week than this. We post pre and post show polls in which we badly want and need your contributions so we can set expectation grades and discuss final grades for pay-per-views and premium live events. And we also do live shows on Twitter spaces, pre-shows that is, ahead of major events. And guess what? This weekend, there's three major events. What does that mean? Three live pre-shows all by following us at Getting Overcast and tuning in via Twitter spaces. You get to contribute. I open up the mics. You can ask questions, leave comments, whatever you want. It is a great interactive experience. That is a mouthful, but we've already given you two mouthfuls this week, as I said, with the podcasts that we have published. So allow me finally to welcome in Vintage Chris Vanini, joining us for this AEW All Out Ultimate Preview. Chris, I will say this about the AEW product leading into this tentpole pay-per-view of theirs. For the last couple of months, I'm not saying I've been out on it, like I'm still clearly watching the product and discussing it. It really hasn't been hitting for me. And the build to All Out has really been lackluster. I will say that Dynamite on Wednesday, the two hours, if you put it 
Like in a cocoon, if you if you separated it from everything else going on in the world of AEW, it was a very entertaining go-home show. Way better of a go-home show for a pay-per-view than Raw was on Monday night for Clash at the Castle, just as an apples-to-apples comparison. That said, I don't necessarily know that it accomplished the goal of setting up a main event where you feel like everything is on the line and I absolutely have to order this pay-per-view because I need to see this main event match. Yeah, look, it's it's good to be back here on the AW edition of the pod. It's been a few weeks, few months maybe, but uh, been mostly staying up on Dynamite. I don't typically watch Rampage. I don't blame um, you. And yeah, I, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, there were only like two or three matches on this card. So there, there, it was a very thrown together build at the end. There, there are some stories being told, but a lot of them just aren't really hitting. And there was that stretch during a, a chunk of the summer where a, where AW television was just not good. And part of that was because a lot of their big stars were gone. Those stars are mostly back now. CM Punk, Kenny Omega, uh, Brian Danielson. And as a result, Dynamite has gotten better the last handful of weeks. The show has been better. But it that's almost separate from All Out because they, they've been good individual shows. They just haven't really necessarily been building toward a tentpole. You only have four pay-per-views a year type of thing. So the AW product has gotten better. I just don't know if this All Out card is is uh, the, the proper culmination of that, in part because, as always, it's an absolutely overstacked card with too many matches, but that's just kind of how it goes. So you're, you're kind of used to it by now. Well, I think the roster and the talent have gotten better based on availability, which is basically what you just said. But I don't think the product has gotten better. I mean, I would say that 2022 as a whole, but particularly coming out of, I think, what is the first event every year? Revolution, right? Um, yeah. From revolution till now has been, in my opinion, an utter mess of booking. And it's AEW's own fault. I'm not saying that they're giving us bad wrestling. They're not giving us bad wrestling. It's still very entertaining. Great in-ring wrestling product, the matches themselves, some damn good storylines. I'm not criticizing the thing in totality, but when you compare it to the first couple years of the company's existence, even during a pandemic in which they didn't have fans and they were still putting on really exciting storylines, a lot of it feels last minute, mishmashed, thrown together. Uh, Forbidden Door certainly played a role in that, throwing an extra pay-per-view uh, into you know everything that they were doing and and putting it in such a short window. AEW is used to building three to four months out for a pay-per-view. All of a sudden, they had four weeks to do it, and they had to start telling stories for Forbidden Door during the build to the pay-per-view that preceded it. And then leading into this, between the last show and All Out, we've had, I don't know, 10 TV specials. Yeah, like exactly. every week was a special yes. event where some perhaps major storylines that you would have put on a pay-per-view were instead rushed to TV. What did that mean? It meant delayed development for the actual storylines that you want to put yes. on pay-per-view. Like so, I went I went to Blood and Guts. It was a really fun show. The Blood and Guts match was the big one. But again, that's a pay-per-view type of match that yeah. you're putting out on television. So by the time your pay-per-view comes around, you've already gone through a lot of the matchups you would have saved for it. And there's also a lot of situations of like, storylines just never ending and not concluding. We've seen a ton of rematches recently, which is not something that AEW prides itself on or said it would ever do. Um, This storyline that started with Eddie Kingston, Santana and Ortiz against, you know, Jericho. And then we got the Jericho Appreciation Society out of it. 
Then Blackpool Combat Club joined with them. That thing lasted multiple months to the point that it's still technically going on with Jericho and Brian Danielson, a match on this pay-per-view. So there's just a lot that has been, for lack of a better term, messy. And when it came to watching AEW and critiquing AEW for the first couple of years, it wasn't messy in many respects. Sure, there was an odd storyline here or there that, that we perhaps weren't into. But I think in totality, we could look at the product and say, man, Tony really knows what he's doing. Um, if you believe in the Booker of the Year awards that he won, whether you think he was perfect, like many AEW fans happen to, or just very good, like I do in those first couple of years, he deserved a lot of praise for what they did. But I think just as much praise as he deserved for those first couple of years, he deserves criticism now for what the product I don't want to say what the product has become because it's not bad, but the way the product has changed over the last five months or so. It is not the best version of AEW that we've had, even though, as you pointed out, it perhaps has the best roster from a talent standpoint that we've seen top to bottom for AEW to this point. Well, right there, I think would be the biggest issue about the show is that we don't see these people every show every week because the roster is so big. Right. And they bring in people from the outside to be on shows. It's that, oh, yeah, I forgot Jade Cargill was doing a thing. I forgot Miro was doing a thing like and then they they cram a bunch of promos in real quick. And so, so stuff hasn't been able to really get highlighted as much. So they're like, oh, well, there's 14 matches on this pay-per-view. I totally forgot that story was, was going on. And it's a real contrast here on the same weekend. We're getting a WWE stadium show with six matches. And the next day, we're getting an AW pay per view with fourteen matches. Good, w- bad, whatever you, whatever you, well, good, bad, whatever you think about it, it's going to be two completely different shows this weekend. A WWE Stadium show with six matches that has sold sixty three thousand seats, and probably will approach seventy by the time you get to the, the doors opening for Clash at the Castle. It's it's really night and day in that regard. Now the wrestling is going to be great on both shows. I think we're yep. going to have some banger matches on All Out. Straight up, this is going to be. A good wrestling card. But I think you and I have both agreed about this for a long period of time when talking about AEW. Really good work rate wrestling only takes you so far. And if every match is really, really good, then you know what I mean? Like there's no, there's nothing to really differentiate kind of one thing from another, get you more excited for something than something else. So yes, we have an absolute ton to talk about on today's show. I did feel like, especially with you on the show, you don't, you're not on every AEW episode. It was a good way to like, Get a lay of the land where your mind is, where my uh, mind frame is going into the show. So the way this is going to work today, we're going to do it in two sections. Uh, first, we're going to break down everything that happened on AEW TV this week, Rampage and Dynamite, that does not either directly have to do with All Out or was a prelude to direct booking for All Out. Because I want to try to keep the AEW All Out Ultimate Preview section, the second section on today's show, as brief as is possible for a 14 match card. So we're going to try to break down as much as we possibly can. Uh, Chris uh, does not watch Rampage, as he said. I do not blame him for that whatsoever. (laughs) I wish I did not have to watch Rampage. It is painful. The last month in particular has been relatively awful wrestling television. But we break down everything that happens on TV for WWE, NXT, and AEW. So I'm going to go over some Rampage stuff. Chris will lay out a little bit. He'll jump back for all the Dynamite breakdowns. And then we will get to our AEW All Out Ultimate Preview. So let's start with the big match on Rampage this past week, which was the ROH Championship. Notice I did not call it a world championship. Claudio Castagnoli against Dustin Rhodes. 
Dustin hit a Huracarana and a Code Red in a sequence. Claudio did the swing. Dustin came back with a power slam and dropped Claudio while trying a pile driver. Luckily, he dropped him to the side and not on top of his head. There was an obvious and appropriate in-ring apology that happened right after that. Dustin then forgot to duck his head on a leapfrog attempt, nailing Claudio in the balls with his own head. It seemed planned, but perhaps it wasn't, but it seemed like it was planned. Arn Anderson, who is apparently still with Dustin Rhodes, like Dustin needs a coach, uh, jumped to the ring apron as Claudio caught Dustin with a pop-up European uppercut for the win. I wrote one word, poor. It was a poor match. Match wasn't entertaining. Booking wasn't very good. And it just felt like a waste of time. We also had Private Party and Andrade El Idolo arguing backstage on Rampage about both of their teams losing last week. Andrade put the blame on Dragon Lee, with Roosh saying he turned on his own brother because of it. Andrade said everything has consequences. I thought it was fine. We'll see what they're building with this. I was happy they at least addressed the Dragon Lee situation because in the moment, that was handled very sloppily. So let's move to the AEW Trios Championship Tournament. We had two semifinal matches, one each on Rampage and Dynamite. I'll go through the Rampage one myself. House of Black versus Dark Order. Brody King powered out of the fast-paced offense that those guys do. Malachi Black tore a knee brace off of 10, locking him in a knee bar as the other team members prevented Dark Order from entering. And it seemed like we were just going to get a submission there. They would move on and, and that was it. Instead, Miro's music hit. And all three Dark Order members just released their holds because they were scared of him and needed three on one, I guess. Black ended up getting rolled up by Alex Reynolds, which I just couldn't even believe. King threw Miro into the steel steps and Malachi hit the black mass, but it was not until they started actually beating him three on one when Darby Allen and Sting entered with the heels dipping out as usual. So it's clear that AEW has been setting up two matches. Uh, the Miro group with Darby and Sting, uh, because Sting has to be on every pay-per-view, with the Dark Order likely getting a changed member on that team against the Elite. And therefore, it was understandable why this was booked the way it was. However, to sacrifice House of Black, one of your few legitimate real trios that I would say the vast majority of your fans want to see succeed and get featured more, to kind of sacrifice them out of a tournament that you can make an argument perhaps they should have won or at least been in the finals on the pay-per-view to do a smash together storyline with Miro, Darby Allen, and Sting just to get all three of them on the card. To me, that was disappointing. And the house giving up their position to win the match because one man entered, in my opinion, is absurd from a kayfabe standpoint, especially when one of your two other guys is Brody King, this massive bruiser who could, you know, at least prevent Miro from interfering in the match himself. Now on Dynamite, uh, this is where we'll bring you in, Chris. Evil Uno announced that he was taking 10's place in the semifinal because 10 injured his knee, Preston Vance. Andrade approached and asked what happened to Evil Uno's power. Then he handed him cash and tried to convince 10 to join them. Then Andrade beat Evil Uno with a crutch and Jose tased 10, who did not sell the taser at all. <laughs> he literally just sat up straight and like acted like nothing had happened to him. It was extremely odd. Hangman Page later stepped up to join Silver and Alex Reynolds as the third member of Dark Order. So clearly the goal was to put Hangman in this position because they ran the storyline with the Elite. So it's going to be Hangman with his Dark Order friends against the Elite. Although that's a storyline that they were being they were telling when Hangman won the title. That's when he was close friends with Dark Order. Then they separated. Now he's back with them. 
Maybe there's a swerve and he turns on them. We'll talk about that a little bit later. I thought this whole booking was obvious weeks ago, which is fine. It's just disappointing for me to see the elite and all of those people dominate a new title picture as they have pretty much every other title picture in AEW at times. Here we are, um, the Andrade beating Evil Uno with a crutch for no reason out of nowhere with no prior feud. That didn't make sense. It felt to me like a very sloppy way to get to what was pretty much a very easy conclusion. Just have someone get injured, have another person get attacked um, with like blind backstage, tell us who it is later, and you have Hangman on the team. Yeah, 10 getting injured, like, okay, fine. And I was like, oh, is Hangman not going to be on this card? What, he's not really doing anything. Oh, he's going to get into the trios tournament now. Okay, that like makes sense. But then you get the tasing thing on Dynamite. And like, where did this attack come from? Uh, why do you want Evil Uno on your team? He's like not a threat. And then the tasing, I was like, wait, did he just tase him? Or did he, did he just no sell a tase? That was weird. Um, look, the Hangman Dark Order thing, Sometimes in my mind, I mix up what is what, but they have been doing a lot of Hangman Dark Order stuff on Being the Elite. So uh, that if you watch that show, this is not a surprise. Hangman was training them. He was doing all these different things. They showed some on television of the Young Bucks wanting Hangman, but him turning them down, wanting to support the Dark Order. So like, it makes sense. That was on TV. That was on TV. Yeah, also. right. That, yeah. That's what I'm saying. That part was on okay. TV. So like it was it got kind of convoluted, but it got to a spot that makes sense. So I, I, I get it. But you're kind of getting to what we have talked about previously on the show, which is I should not be forced to watch being the elite to get yep. the full the full breath of the storyline. Now, I'm not saying I don't yep. understand the storyline just on TV. I do. They told us enough to kind of make it a legitimate storyline. But if you're going into depth on it, on being the elite, well, how about you don't give me like the random Wardlow Ryan Nemeth squash match and it, give me a little bit more storyline for one of your big matches, one of your big storylines on one of your television programs. When Rampage Agreed. started, I actually thought it was going to be like a mishmash of matches with some like being the elite type of vibes in there. And I, I still think to this day that would get higher ratings and would be a more entertaining program. But, so why don't they use their TV time to, to do stuff like this? I just don't understand. It was very frustrating. Um, let's move to the second semifinal. The Elite against Will Ospreay and Aussie Open. This main event in Dynamite. Osprey was about to cut a promo earlier backstage when Don Callis said he's not the next Omega. He's great on his own right. Uh, so Osprey never actually cut a promo. He never said anything. Candidly, I missed a good five minutes of this match. Uh, because I was watching Serena Williams uh, in the U.S. Open, but I did see the vast majority of it. Omega and Osprey opened. Osprey hit a corkscrew uh, from the top rope outside. Osprey then flipped out of a Snapdragon and hit Omega with a Huracarana. Omega dodged a handspring tope, hitting a Snapdragon outside. Nick Jackson went on a really sick run. Osprey then mocked Omega's V trigger. Osprey somehow countered a V trigger into a Liger bomb. It was crazy. The Elite came back with a huge sequence, including a V-trigger and super kick party for a broken fall. Osprey caught Nick with an Oz cutter as he tried a Meltzer driver. Osprey then nearly broke his neck, doing a shooting star version of a Meltzer driver. His neck literally landed um, perpendicularly against the guy's ass crack. And it was like, oh my God, this, he almost snapped his neck on a guy's ass. It was absolutely wild. Uh, Omega countered Hidden Blade with a V-Trigger. The Elite hit triple super kick party. Osprey countered Omega's V-Trigger with a pump knee. Then the Elite caught Osprey with a leapfrog indie taker. Omega went for a cover, but Osprey wasn't legal. 
Omega then caught Fletcher with a V-trigger and one-winged angel for the win to advance to the finals. So look, the spots were incredible. The wrestling yes. in terms of ability, execution, moveset, all of it was fantastic. I just really don't know if I've ever seen a match with like less storyline other than Omega and Osprey wanting to fight each other, which is very basic, and a tag team match with less tagging than this one. I legitimately had no idea who was legal over the second half of the match. And even when there were tags, everyone just continued wrestling. So you quickly <laughs> forgot who was actually legal. Osprey was outstanding. The guy has been on a crazy run. I gave it 4.5 stars and an A because you just cannot diminish the entertainment value here and the ability. But this was the definition of a spot fest. At least the right team won with the right person getting the final fall. This really did feel like the final. I know they're doing the yeah. elite angle. Kind of felt like the elite angle should be on TV and this match should have been on the pay-per-view. I just wish they saved it for all out. If I'm going to spend $50 for something, I'd rather get this. Guess what? The Omega and Elite team against Hangman and Dark Order team still would have been a highly rated main event for Dynamite. So we'll see if there's a surprise if Hangman turns on Dark Order and joins the Elite and therefore it's pay-per-view worthy. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, we'll talk about the prediction later. But this was fantastic wrestling. Very, very, very exciting. Uh, I know a certain person will give it a five-star rating on Friday. This person will not be doing that. Yes, it was. It was not to that level, but it was very, 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 very fun. I've. I don't. I. I wasn't on the show before, but when Kenny Omega made his return, and Justin Roberts did that long, convoluted explanation bit on Kenny's return, I hated that because it. It didn't. It. It took away from the moment a little bit. It, it was less impactful. I know it's something that they do. I get it, but for for that to be the moment was weird. But I loved it here. I love that Kenny Omega's entire entrance was Justin Roberts shitting on Will Ospreay, saying he's not as good as Kenny Omega. I thought that was very, very funny. And frankly, that, the buildup, and even the match itself, I was just like, I just want to see Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay. Like, we're, right. I know we're doing the right. trios match. We got to do that. I'm glad they gave us a good chunk of Omega Osprey. Like, they didn't keep them apart or anything like that. So we did get it. But I just kept think, watching this match thinking, man, imagine if this was just Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay right now. So that yeah. was just kind of in my head. But it, it was a really, really fun match. The moonsault Meltzer driver, frankly, doesn't even make sense because your body's flipping the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. But it was still crazy. Thankfully, he's OK. Nothing bad happened. Um, nothing more to really say other than this was just a lot of fun. And it's the kind of match you would have thought they wanted on the pay-per-view. But I guess not. You made a good uh, point about Omega Osprey. Like, that's the match we all want. I am of the impression, at least right now, that we will wind up getting Omega Osprey at Wrestle Kingdom. I think that's going to be the make good for AEW with New Japan bringing all its people to the United States, allowing the first Forbidden Door mm -hmm. at least to be in the United States, having Osprey on TV all these weeks being involved in the tournament, people who were involved in the um, All Atlantic title tournament. Uh, other people from New Japan who have showed up periodically in AEW, Minoru Suzuki, etc. I believe, I, I think there's going to be a lot of AEW talent actually on the Wrestle Kingdom card. I wouldn't be surprised if we get Brian Danielson and Zack Sabre Jr. there, matches like that. But one I think we will for sure get is Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega back in the Tokyo Dome, full crowd, 
able to cheer. It's going to be a really big moment for New Japan. So look for that to come uh, in the future. All right, got a little bit more to do, and then we'll get to the ultimate preview. On Rampage, Ortiz and Ruby Soho fought Sammy Guevara and Ty Mello. Ruby hit Sammy with a poison Rana, but ate a diving crossbody from Ty, who later pump kicked Ortiz. Soho hit her with no future, but Sammy broke the fall by lifting Ruby up by her waist, I guess, because he can't kick her. Uh, Angelo Parker distracted the referee as Anna Jay threw Ruby into the steps. Sammy then caught Ortiz, who was bladed at some point with a flying cutter for the win. I like mixed tag team wrestling personally, but I always find it strange that the women can hit the men. And obviously the men can't like go lariat a woman or something like that, at least on national television. Um, But they don't even break up a fall with like a kick. Like they literally have to pick up a woman and move her like she's a delicate flower when she's in the middle of a wrestling match. So I, I wish they were a little bit more real, um, but it was fine. What sucks is I'm almost positive they are doing an exact rematch this coming week on Rampage, which is just mind boggling. Uh, also on Rampage, we had a TNT title match, Wardlow against Ryan Nemeth. Dolph Ziggler's brother insulted Wardlow before the bell. At the bell, he ate a headbutt, lariat, and four power bombs for the win. The all-out challengers watched from the stage. This was a total waste of time. On Dynamite, the wingmen were in the ring complaining about screen time when W. Morrissey, the former big cast, entered to, I would say, modest cheers. He cleaned house of the jobbers and then Stokely Hathaway walked down and handed him a business card. Tony Schiavone asked Stoke what the deal is with the cards. He flipped out on him for no reason. I'm confused a little bit as to why Stoke has to keep handing people business cards. Why couldn't he have been the one who brought Morrissey in, specifically for being part of his group. Why is he handing him a business card after the fact? That didn't really make sense. Anyway, Morrison is, or at least was a free agent. So my assumption here is that he signed with AEW. I do not believe we got W. Morrissey as All Elite as a graphic. One of the reasons I think that might be the case is that what Stokely is doing is potentially building a Ring of Honor stable, either a Ring of Honor stable or a Ring of Honor roster. Perhaps they're gonna make him commissioner of that or something like that in kayfabe. I don't know exactly, but I do think that is a possibility. Morrissey, he looked good and healthy. One area in which AEW Ring of Honor could enhance its roster is true big men who can move. They have Wardlow, he's great, but some of the other ones just are not. So this to me, Chris, was one of the more understandable signings, but who knows what kind of TV time this guy is going to get. The roster doesn't need to expand. It will be interesting to see who the Joker is in the casino ladder match. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Because Morrissey would have made a good one. So you have to make the mm-hmm. assumption that whoever the Joker is, is bigger or better, whether it's a return or debut, than Morrissey. Yeah, the, the concept of the wingmen, like, could maybe be funny. Like, I find those guys mostly funny on being the elite. I think Ryan Nemeth is actually pretty hilarious. He's just obviously never on the show. The production of this was a little off. The music, W. Morrissey's music came in early. They were trying to chant, let's touch tips. Let's touch tips with their pinkies, <laughs> but the music hit, you couldn't hear it. And then he that comes out. It remains a very weird name, W. Morrissey, but he looks great. I liked him in his last uh, AEW appearance. His, his impact stuff ha- has been good. That choke slam he delivered, holding him up forever, was very, very cool. I'm frankly just surprised he hasn't re signed with, with WWE. It, it felt like that was a possibility, especially. Triple H back in charge. It appears that's not the case. So either way, hope hope uh, hope he's landing in, in AEW here. And I don't really know where it goes. I like your idea of Stokely just bringing him out and not saying anything. But 
you know, they're, 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 they're planting a lot of seeds here for something with Stokely. And I'm hopeful it's been, it'll be better than his pointless Jade Cargill stuff. So we'll, well that's the weird thing. It's like, sometimes he's with them. Sometimes he's not. Are they part of whatever he's doing? Are they not? It, I just don't, I don't get it. And I mean, hopefully it seems like he's happy and that's, what's most important that the talent is happy. He left WWE. He had an opportunity to come up to the main roster, chose not to, to do this. I hope whatever it is ends up playing out really great. And if what that is, is he's like the de facto ring of honor commissioner and he's in charge in kayfabe of an entire organization. That's a damn great role for him. And it could be really damn funny as a heel in particular. So if it's that, if it's a faction leader, that's interesting. There's been a rumor out there, not a rumor, um, a fan theory that's out there that Stoke is creating a faction on behalf of MJF so that MJF comes back and has all these people behind him. But when you look at the people he's recruited, with the exception of Morrissey, who has a heavy would be great, you look at the rest of them and you're like, well, that's not really a good faction for MJF exactly. So it seems much more likely that it's Ring of Honor adjacent than it is MJF adjacent. But I guess we will find out uh, in the future. So Chris, that is everything that went down on Dynamite and Rampage that did not so much directly have to do with AEW All Out, which means we still have plenty to discuss for our AEW All Out Ultimate Preview. A reminder, we work from the bottom of the card all the way to the top, so I know plenty of you want to hear our takes on John Moxley and CM Punk. I promise you will. You're going to hear them in great detail, but you're going to hear them in the main event of this show, which is at the very end. So let's start off with Zero Hour. Very curious that AEW is going with this instead of the buy-in. I perhaps wonder if they're trying to steal a little thunder from the main event of NXT Worlds Collide. Maybe they're a little perturbed by that. I don't know, but there's three damn good matches or two damn good matches and one interesting match on Zero Hour, the pre-show, the kickoff show. I find that whole thing interesting given recent buy-ins have been extremely weak, some of which had limited matches that didn't even have any build. They were just announced at the very end. These do have build, so I give them credit for that. Two of them have build, and I think all three of them are interesting to some degree. So let's start with the FTW Championship hook against Angelo Parker. On Rampage, Hook said he saw Matt Menard and Angelo Parker caught a promo against him last week, but he didn't really care. He walked off. Those guys immediately took his place to talk more trash and demand title matches. Hook could not have been more than five yards away from them when they started talking trash. And he just never came back. You would think this badass guy would come back and smack him across the face. Thought the whole thing was nonsensical, even though as a low card feud, the comedy of those guys versus the seriousness of Hook makes sense. Hook retains the title. I have nothing else to say. Yeah, I, I like Angelo Parker. The 2.0 guys are really funny. Like you said, low card type of thing. It makes sense. But but uh, Hook is certainly going to win this. Now we are going to have two big meaty men bumping meat on zero hour. Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping meat tonight! Because Eddie Kingston will be fighting Tomohiro Ishii in the undercard on the pre-show. This is a regular pay-per-view match, so the fact that they're giving this away, uh, good for them, because this is going to be an absolute banger. Two of my favorite wrestlers, Kingston on the mic, Ishii in the ring. I absolutely cannot wait for it. We've discussed Kingston, uh, his recent suspension due to what happened with Sammy Guevara. They've apparently made up and buried the hatchet. Ishii is not a full-time competitor in AEW. Kingston is. Kingston wins the match. I think it's going to be awesome. 
I I'm not sure about Eddie winning this. I, I mean, Ishii, we we were hoping he was going to be on Forbidden Door. He got pulled. You know, Eddie did get suspended. Still dealing with some stuff. He typically doesn't win many matches, period, or let alone big ones. Maybe this isn't a big one. Um, I'm going to say Ishii wins. All right. Fair enough. Uh, we will also have an All-Atlantic title match. This will be Pac's first defense, I believe, in AEW, or at least on AEW TV or pay-per-view. Uh, he will be defending against Kip Sabian on Dynamite. Sabian cut a taped promo on Pac saying he fell for the simplest of ruses and that the champion would be the first one to, quote, embrace the change, unquote. Pac apparently knew exactly what Sabian said, despite the entire thing being taped. That's all there really is to it. It's interesting booking here because Sabian, we've been waiting for this guy to come back for, I mean, it seems like over a year. I'm, I'm not sure how long he was out, a long ass time though. And he immediately gets a title match, which fair enough, you know, it makes sense for given the storyline that they've been telling with them too. Uh, a lot of that storyline, by the way, has not happened on TV. It's been on dark and overseas, et cetera. But so the match makes sense. But bringing Sabian back to have him lose immediately is not usually the best case scenario. That said, I don't think Pac is going to lose the freaking title to him. So I'm picking Pac. Plus, it's only on the pre-show. So it's it's not I, I crowning a new champion on the pre-show is not a likely scenario. I do credit them for. This has a story to it. It was built for quite a while, the the box over the head thing. So, like, there's something to it, and we'll see with Kip Sabian, but I'm definitely picking Pac. The All-Atlantic Championship largely seems like a title that's meant to be defended overseas. I don't know if Kip Sabian is wrestling overseas or not, but we know Pac is, so Pac retains. All right, so let's get to the main card. We already broke down three matches, which means there are now 11 left to go. TBS Championship Jade Cargill defending against Athena. On Rampage backstage, Layla Gray tried to talk when Jade kicked the baddies and the interviewer out. Yet despite all of them leaving, including the interviewer with the microphone, she was still able to be heard exactly as clear as she would otherwise. Uh, she said absolutely nothing of substance. Athena ran in and landed one punch before they were separated by security. AEW apparently doesn't let its wrestlers fight backstage, or at least only certain ones get to fight and other ones do not because... They got separated. Jungle Boy and Christian Cage got separated, yet everyone else is allowed to beat the shit out of each other. Um, this is tough. It actually really is tough because this was supposed to be Chris Statlander in this spot. And my assumption here was that Stat would beat Jade and take the title and end her winning streak and all that. With Athena now in this spot, in my mind, she's just as capable and on the same level as Statlander and she should get the exact same booking but I don't really feel like the storyline has been built up well enough to make this seem like a big deal, uh, which it would be her beating Jade Cargill. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of momentum behind Athena. You would think that they would have her wrestle on dynamite here and there, instead of putting unsigned talent in the ring against, you know, Britt Baker or something like that. Um, so going into the show and even going into doing this ultimate preview, Athena, I had written down here, but I'm actually going to change it. I think Jade Cargill retains the title and drops it on television, uh, whether it's to Athena or whether it's to someone else. I don't know yet, but I don't think she takes it here. It is tough. There's not a lot of momentum with Athena, but there's not a lot of momentum with Jade either. She's just kind of been floating around for a while now. The Stokely Hathaway stuff has not done much of anything. It feels like maybe she's hit a ceiling at this point and maybe a change up would be good. 
freshen up that 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 uh, that division. I don't know what there's not much left for Jade Cargill to do unless she gets into the women's wrestlers who are typically around the, the AW Women's Championship picture. But she's still very much one of those faces of the company. She's on the front of the posters and all that kind of stuff. And to me, this is kind of not low stakes, but low interest enough that I think she retains. All right. Uh, Ricky Starks is going to fight Powerhouse Hobbs. On Rampage, Hobbs fought a jobber, Ashton Day. Hobbs mocked Starks and won the, in a squash, basically with a spine buster. Backstage, the factory had Starks held down on a chair, bleeding from the mouth. When QT Marshall put a watch around his fist, and I'm not even exaggerating, lightly tapped Starks in the collarbone with it, and he sold it like it was death. How the hell they could not have just reshot that and executed it better? I have absolutely no idea. It was absurd. I still don't understand why this massive giant powerhouse Hobbs at first didn't want the factory's help and now wants their help stopping Ricky Starks. I don't understand why the factory gives a shit about their feud or cares about keeping Ricky Starks down. Um, This was a hot turn when it happened after Starks lost the FTW title. And then they kind of didn't really have them on TV interacting with each other. They had them just cutting promos separately. Hobbs not really doing much of anything. And now here we are kind of going into the match. You know, the booking theoretically should be Ricky Starks winning. But maybe with the factory, there's some interference and they cost him it and Hobbs wins. I'm going to go with the baby face in this section because I have to believe they're building up Starks for something and having him lose to Hobbs and then running a rematch. I don't really know that that makes any sense. So I'm going to have Ricky Starks go ahead, come out of this beating powerhouse Hobbs. I'm in that same spot where it feels like Ricky Starks is starting to get pushed for something bigger. That big promo he cut a couple weeks ago, really good stuff. I've, I've been a fan of his more and more. The more you see him, he's getting better and better. Fans are are getting behind him. He feels like a, a, a new top guy type of thing that can have. That doesn't mean he necessarily gets in the world championship picture right away, but you know he, he's ready to move up. At the same time, we've seen plenty of AEW stories where someone you think should be in a higher spot just kind of toils with the same feud that goes in circles and circles. And I could certainly see Starks and Hobbs wrestling each other like four times or something like that over the next month or two. Like it, it's it's possible. But so basically the the team Taz storyline for anyone that joins the AEW, but within team Taz. So like instead of it being uh, Keith Lee fighting team Taz for 10 weeks, it's team Taz fighting itself for 10 weeks, basically. Yes. Like it's, it's, it feels like that's possible. That said, I'm going to pick Ricky Starks. I'm going to say, I hope he he gets the win and they move him up because they, they think now is the time to do something with him where the, where he goes from there. I don't know, but he's a, he's a, he's a dude. And I think he should get a win here. He is indeed a dude. That is a good way to put it, uh, Steve Adazio. Uh, Wardlow and FTR are going to fight Jay Lethal and the Motor City Machine Guns on Dynamite. Wardlow and FTR fought three jobbers. FTR hit the big rig. Wardlow hit two power bombs for the win. There was no standoff or promo battle. There was nothing afterward. I thought maybe we'd get both Motor City Machine Guns in there to do some action with FTR to kind of preview the match. We didn't get that. Look, Uh, I've been very critical of this over the last few weeks. I don't know, Chris, if you heard my takes on the entire thing, but I'll I'll briefly repeat them again. Wardlow uh, should be defending the TNT title against a legitimate challenger. They've done nothing with him since the MJF feud. FTR has been the number one contenders for the AEW world titles for months, and they haven't gotten a title match. They have all of the other championships. 
And they could have defended any of those, including the Ring of Honor ones, which are under AEW's umbrella against a really good tag team, including perhaps even the Motor City Machine Guns, if you wanted to do a storyline on TV. Or, or, and or, they could have been going after the AEW titles. Obviously, the trios tournament um, created some issue with that initially because uh, the Young Bucks were the champions. Now Swerve and Our Glory is the champions, and theoretically, you don't want to beat them so quickly after they won the straps. So FTR has been, I mean, they're still hot. They still got a big pop on Wednesday night, but FTR and Wardlow. Wardlow has been completely cooled down. FTR yep. hasn't been because they're so over. But for this match to be happening, it's going to be a great match. Motor City Machine Guns, in case you guys haven't seen them, very talented in the ring. Jay Lethal, obviously very good in the ring. But what is the point of this match? Is there any storyline? No. The storyline's with Sanjay Dutt, who's not even wrestling in this. Jay Lethal, we've seen him on TV far too much. And the one thing it had going for it was, wow, Wardlow maybe will powerbomb Satnam Singh. That'll be an impressive uh, feat. But I think Tony Khan realized, well, if we do that, then Satnam Singh's dead. Like he's worthless, right? And he already is worthless, but it would be, he'd be even more worthless. He'd be in the ground. So they did this instead. It's going to be a fine wrestling match. The baby faces are going to win Wardlow and FTR. But the fact that you're doing a six man tag team match on a show where you're crowning a trios champion and Wardlow and FTR theoretically could have been in the trios tournament, perhaps could have, you know, you, you want to add to FTR, have them have a trios title in addition to all their tag team titles. That's a really strong team. So it's messy. I don't like any of the booking or storytelling for this. I think the match will be good. Wardlow and FTR win. Match will be good. Baby faces win. But this booking has been a complete mess and is really a, a, a highlight, a perfect illustration of the AW booking issues at the moment. They handled that Wardlow build up to the MJF stuff basically perfectly. Like you couldn't have set it up better to establish a new guy. And they had no plans after that. And he has done, he's just been wallowing, doing nothing for, for a long time now. And fans still like him when he shows up, but man, like there's nothing going on with this guy and it sucks. With the FTR stuff, it's been very strange. Like they've been the number one in the rankings for the AW Tag Team titles, but like you obviously don't want to have them have all the titles necessarily. What I think they should do is if you have a Ring of Honor title in a, if you have a Ring of Honor title, you're not in the rankings for AEW titles because you're off doing your own thing. Like the Intercontinental Champion is never like first in line to fight the WWE Champion because you're doing your own thing. So like if, if you have Ring of Honor TV title, world title, tag team titles, you're just, you're not in the rankings. If FTR was not sitting there at number one in the rankings for weeks, months now, then it wouldn't feel like we're just waiting for them to do something. It wouldn't feel as much like they're doing nothing, even though they are doing nothing. This will be a fun match. You got to figure out what to do with these guys. I, I, I get they changed the match because the original six-man match was an even worse idea. I do think there's a strong possibility we still get the Wardlow powerbomb at the end of this. Like the, the faces win. Satin Singh and, and Sanjay come in and start to beat him up. You have a brawl. Wardlow powerbombs him. And, and that's the end of the bit. And I think that'll be fine. Crowd will love it and everything. But like moving forward, you got to have a plan for these guys and it feels like they have not had any plan for quite a while that is completely true uh speaking of six-man tag team matches that are not part of the trios tournament we have another one as mentioned earlier miro darby allen and sting against house of black 
Miro said he would take down the house, even though those who have partnered with him in the past have suffered. Darby said Malachi needed Brody King and Buddy Matthews, but they didn't need him. Miro then promised to basically like kill all pagans or something like that. I I, <laughs> I get lost. I really do get lost with his Redeemer promos. I love him. I'm glad he's cutting mm-hmm. good promos, but I get they just lose me every time. Uh, so this is interesting, right? Um, you can make a case for House of Black, right? They can miss them and win. Um, Julia Hart can get involved and cost one of them. I don't, AW, it seems, refuses to pin Sting. It doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Miro isn't going to get pinned in his return. That leaves Darby Allen as the one person on that team who can take the fall. House of Black, Buddy Matthews, Brody King, both of them can take the fall. I don't think they would pin Malachi Black. So I look at it on what's more likely to happen. The baby faces with Sting going over and getting a really big pop in Chicago with on Miro's return match, I should note, or House of Black, which has been there and they just haven't utilized and they didn't care enough to feature in the trios tournament in terms of putting them in the finals or them beating three huge baby faces. I don't see it. I I hate to go with another baby face win here, um, which is really the direction I'm heading so far, but I do have Miro, Darby, Allen and Sting winning this match. I'm going to pick the House of Black just because got to pick a heel somewhere, I think, maybe. And considering what happened to them at the trios tournament, maybe this is kind of like the makeup. I just House of Black is a situation where I think the individual pieces are greater than the sum of the parts. I think Malachi Black, Brody King and Buddy Matthews individually are spectacular. But House of Black just does not hit for me. The, 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 the entrances are fine, whatever. Like They're not scary. They lose all the time. And it's like, I, I just don't really know what the point of it is. It's almost like too much spookiness stuff, like pull it back a little bit. But I think they get the win here and maybe they do something later on. I don't know. They've kind of just been doing nothing for a while, but I'm going to pick House of Black. Interesting. Okay. Um, Didn't think you'd go that direction, but good pick. I think there's a legitimate reason to have them win. I just don't know that they're going to. Uh, Casino ladder match, Claudio Castagnoli, Wheeler Yuta, Penta Oscuro, Ray Phoenix, Andrade El Idolo, Roosh, Dante Martin, and a Joker. That has officially been announced last minute Wednesday. On Dynamite, we had four of those men in a fatal four-way, Phoenix, Roosh, Martin, and Yuta. There were like eight consecutive topes, including a tornillo for Martin. Yuta eventually pinned Martin with the seatbelt. It was a very entertaining match. It was not worth doing a full breakdown of the entire thing, given it didn't have any value or meaning on what we're getting at all out, but it certainly was exciting. Uh, With the four luchadors in this match and Dante, this is going to be a spectacle. There's no question. I'm guessing Samoa Joe is going to end up as the Joker if I had to make a prediction, which I do. That is my prediction. Uh, That would put all three Ring of Honor singles champions in this match. It would also give them a second base guy because everyone else is high flyers but Claudio and Samoa Joe could be the base guys. In terms of a pick here, really, really difficult. Uh, Penta and Phoenix never win anything, so I'm not choosing them. Wheeler Yuta certainly doesn't need uh, more of a push than he's already gotten. Dante Martin in a title match doesn't make any sense. Roosh in a title match, for me, doesn't really make much sense. Claudio is a champion. Some call them him a world champion already. I don't know that Having him go after the AEW title would make sense unless it's title versus title and you're going to combine them. So by process of elimination, that leaves me with Andrade El Idolo, who out of everyone in this match is probably most deserving of like a world title opportunity based on his profile and level of talent. The only other option 
would be the Joker. However, because I have Samoa Joe as the Joker, I don't particularly think they would have him come in when the, uh, what is it, the brass ring that they do? Take the brass yeah. ring down um, and fight John Moxley or CM Punk. Now, he did have a long time rivalry with CM Punk. And if CM Punk does win the title, we'll talk about that later. Uh, because yes, CM Punk, spoiler alert, if you were waiting, is going to be in the t- in the main event of All Out. Perhaps there's a reason to do that. And then you get to promote that. It just seems unnecessary. I'm going to go with Andrade. I just to pick somebody else as a Joker, I'll say W. Morrissey. I think everything you said about Samojo makes sense. So not a surprise then for Morrissey. Yeah, not okay. as much surprise. Um, I, just to pick somebody else, just a, another option. You know, I like I, I think about the casino ladder matches and who wins the brass rings. And if they ever mean anything like this isn't like Royal Rumble, you're going to WrestleMania. It's typically somebody gets a TV match and they lose and it's whatever. So there are a lot of different ways you could do it. You could have Samoa Joe win. You could do Samoa Joe CM Punk. I think that's right up Tony Khan's alley in terms of something he would would book. I also think it'd be cool to just like if it's just if you're just going to do a TV title match, giving it to like Dante Martin or something like that and just like giving him a spot and letting him look good and then try to say you're building the next guy. So I think there's a lot of possibilities, but ultimately I am going, I was also going to pick Andrade because he's as, as much as anybody on this, a guy who's got just enough credibility left that you can put him in a title match and be like, Oh, it's Andrade, but he loses and has no chance of actually winning. Both of the guys going for the title are faces mostly. Mm. So a heel winning makes sense as well. So I'm picking Andrade as well. Man, see, you can't complain that we pick the same shit and then go pick my guy in a ladder match with eight people in it. <laughs> you can't do that. Well, I, 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 I'm I, not eliminating Wheeler Yuta. I'm not eliminating. I know. Dante I'm just giving Martin. you shit because you, you don't like them when we pick the same stuff all the time. I know. I, in a situation we, where there's literal as much variety as possible, you choose the exact same. There is. Stuff. This is what That's we all. said on the, the Clash of the Castle Ultimate Preview when I when we picked differently. Yeah. In, the, in the world title match, and then I convinced and then I changed you it. to go the other way. But like, you did. Uh, no, it's fine. It's a, I'm a it's a fine pick. I'm just giving you a hard time. I don't. I, I think it's, I don't even want him to win it. Like I I don't care about Andrade at all. I don't want him to be the guy. They I have just, not made me care about him at all. The, the opposite. I, can just, I care less. I care less about Andrade now I than I ever have before. Less. I could not care less. I but. You know what? Let, let's just change it. Let's just change. No, it. Do, no. Do it's it for pick. the sake of a different. No, I, I'm I'm picking Dante Martin. All right, you're going. Okay, fine. It's I'm going to still count it as Andrade as your pick, but Dante Martin. Only if it counts, yes. Uh, um, Let's move on. Jungle Boy against Christian Cage on Dynamite. Jim Ross did a sit down interview with both guys. Christian said he'd make Jungle Boy a has been at age 25. JB said he loved Christian at one point, but now he hated him. He said Christian is not fighting Jungle Boy, but Jack Perry on Sunday. Decent enough. Um, You go ahead. Pick this first. I'll give you one. This sit down segment was better than Jungle Boy doing a promo in the ring when he got wooded a couple weeks ago. It was a good setup. I when when Jungle Boy says you're not fighting Jungle Boy, you're fighting Jack Perry, and Jim Ross is sitting right there. I just I, I was like Jr. must have popped for that. Now that he's <laughs> right. officially calling himself Jack Perry, that he should have like tapped him on the leg, like Hey Jr. <laughs> listen to this. I'm Jack Perry, you know. <laughs> um, uh. I, I, I'm going to pick 
Jungle Boy, I feel like it should be him, but like I also feel like we've had so many AW pay-per-views where you have a clear like, okay, here's the next step making moment for this guy. And it doesn't happen. Like I think it was the last pay-per-view when we thought uh Jurassic Express would drop the belts and then they just didn't and then right. did a few weeks later. So like you I could see Christian winning this and then Jungle Boy like winning in a stipulation match a few weeks later. That almost feels most likely. But I guess I'm going to pick Jack Perry. All right. Well, um, you can see it. I'm going to predict it. I do think Christian wins this match. I think that there's an interesting dynamic that isn't being discussed that much with Luchasaurus, where he way too easily turned Uh, heel and flipped right back to Jungle Boy. Yeah. Like that did not make any sense. The only way it actually does make sense. And look, maybe I'm trying to fix their booking and and it's not going to happen. And I'm just a dummy and. Jungle Boy wins and everyone cheers and they move on. But the way that makes sense is that Christian basically tells Luchasaurus, hey, pretend to be his friend. I'm going to fight him when that time comes. You're there. You have my back. I'm able to take him down. Realize Luchasaurus, since he's turned back face, he hasn't dropped the look. He hasn't dropped the music, the fire, any of that repackage. You would think if someone was going heel and face that they probably wouldn't come out to what um, seems to amount to a heel entrance. So maybe I'm thinking too much into it and it's AEW and most of the time AEW is very predictable in its booking. And again, sometimes predictable things are good. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but they are predictable. And the predictable outcome here would indeed be Jungle Boy winning. And I think that would be a totally fine outcome, but I'm going to swerve it. I think Christian wins due to some underhanded tactics. And I completely agree with you since AEW loves doing their special events Um, perhaps they do this at Grand Slam, or maybe they throw six other special events in between now and then, but I could see them having a stipulation match to settle it. The Jungle Boy ultimately wins. I just don't think it's going to be here. I forgot. I totally forgot about the Luchasaurus thing, and that makes me change my pick. You're right. Luchasaurus is going to come back. He's going to show up, and he's going to cost Jungle Boy the match. It's it's right there. I, I just I completely forgot about it. he flipped back to face, but he's never hit. He's never hit Christian. He's never like done anything. He's just kind of helped Jungle Boy a little bit. And it seemed it, it has seemed obvious for weeks. I just hadn't seen him in a week or so. I forgot about him that he's going to flip back to Christian. So Ugh. I I know it's the same pick again, but it's it, it, I'm picking Christian. I just right. I'd forgotten about the Luchasaurus. I, I, convi- I convinced Joe. Hopefully, I convinced some other people. And here we go. We'll, we'll all be wrong. Jungle Boy will win, and nothing will happen, and we'll just move on with our lives. <laughs> Isn't it funny, by the way? Um, maybe it was coming out of Revolution. I don't know when it was, but there were, all of a sudden there became this storyline of like how great of a job AEW was doing with its four pillars and bringing them up. And Jungle Boy, the this storyline has been it wasn't dead on arrival necessarily. But it jumped the shark really early. I don't give a shit about it. The Ricky Stark storyline, good initially. It's jumped the shark as far as I'm concerned with the factory getting involved and all that type of stuff. MJF is nowhere to be found. Obviously, if and when he comes back, potentially at All Out, maybe. Um, That will be a big moment, undoubtedly. Sammy Guevara has completely fallen off in every conceivable way. So all those pillars that were getting praised four, five, six months ago, are in the exact opposite situation that they were in all that time ago when it looked like they were really going to be the next era for AEW. AEW was getting ready to really push and focus on them. I said Ricky Starks. I'm realizing now Darby Allen is the other pillar. Darby Allen has been doing the exact same thing for two years. Yep. 
He's with Sting. They fight people. They usually win. Sometimes they lose. And, and that's it. No further title contention. Not being built up. I want to say CM Punk. He, he, he not want to say CM Punk debuted by beating Darby Allen in a match that perhaps Allen should have won, uh, given ring rust and stuff for Punk. So it's been, it. it's been I, going, it's been going nowhere for Darby Allen is my point. In addition to all this other yes. stuff. So my point is yep. the state of the uh, pillars going into all out at least is nowhere near as strong. There's some cracks in those pillars as it was all those months ago when we and many others were praising AEW for that. Few more they're matches. Not the they're not the pillars anymore. It's the elite. It's Moxley. It's Punk. It's 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 Brian Danielson. Well, they that, the, like, the so the, that, that's, the concept that's of them the being foundation. <laughs> the concept of them being pillars is that they're the pillars, the foundation of which the entire thing is being built on. Not in that they're the biggest stars, but that right. they're the future and they have the longest tenure. They're going to have, or theoretically, the longest tenure with the company. Therefore, they're the structure. Yeah. They're the base of what is to come for the future of AEW. Whereas CM Punk, John Moxley, Brian Danielson, all these guys, they're the window dressing. They're the outside. They're getting people to watch the show. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. Because of the number of talents that Tony Khan has signed and is continuing to sign, those guys who are getting over at a young age and and they're, they're, all, they're all over. I'm not saying that none of them are over now, but the level to which they're over and the level to which they're being featured is drastically different than it was six months ago. And certainly even before that, when all these people started joining AEW, it's a disappointment for me. It just is. So we have a handful of matches left here. The tag team championships, Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland, Swerve in our glory, defending against the acclaimed. There is hardly a storyline for this. The acclaimed are only getting a title match. I think to get these guys, uh, Swerve in our glory, Keith Lee and Swerve on the show, there is zero chance that they win the titles. Um, I don't even know what else to say. All the other tag teams that probably should have been in the title match are either in the trios tournament or their FTR not being given an opportunity. Yeah, this put your tag team championships on the actual card, which is one thing. But also getting the acclaimed on the card was important. These guys are so freaking over right now. Like even when I went to Blood and Guts, when that music hits for their entrance, like everybody's like, oh, here we go. Everybody gets excited. Everybody stands up like they have something right now. I want them to win the tag titles. I'd love for it to be here because I just, I don't think Swerve or Glory to me is just nothing. Just, these are singles guys. They need to be in single situations. I would love for the Acclaim to win the tag team belts. I don't know if it's their time yet necessarily, and I'm not picking them. I'm picking Swerve or Glory, but the Acclaimed really have something, and I hope they get their moment before, I, I hope they get the titles before their moment kind of passes. Yeah, I mean, I think their ceiling is only so high. I I really like Max Caster on the mic and, you know, the freestyles or, or the scripted raps that he does going to the ring. Uh, Anthony Bowens, I find endlessly entertaining. I think they're a really fun tag team. In this company where there is such an onus put on wrestling and work rate, the number of tag teams that are in this company that are not being featured for one reason or another for the acclaim to rise up and get this opportunity. I think the gun club was in the top five at one point. They may still be um, to me. It's ridiculous. They're just, they're really good. They're entertaining. They should be on TV all the time and featured. Do I need them to be tag team champions in AEW before a lot of other teams are? I, I just don't. Right. But one of those teams, 
<laughs> Swerve in our glory who doesn't need to be. They don't even need to be, be a tag team. They still they don't need to be it either. Yeah. I just like I look at I look at the acclaimed, and I know this is a completely different company, but I look at the acclaimed and I see the New Age Outlaws of, of like a a group that was uh. just a big star. They're not the best wrestlers, even though they're solid wrestlers. Like they're not the guys you come to see do amazing wrestling moves. And in this company, the ability to do certain wrestling moves is is the biggest thing you have, but it also makes them stand out from everybody else in that they have their own they 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 have their own thing that they do. They're perfectly fine in the ring. They're more than just wrestlers. I think anytime you can find that in AEW, it's good. I agree that there's other people who should have the belts and whatever, but you've got so many tag team belts in this company now. The acclaim should get some at some point. I mean, look, you want to make them the ROH champions? I'm down. Trios champions with Billy Gunn, um, not now, obviously, but eventually down the line when those belts aren't as important as they are right now, maybe I'm okay with that. Do they need to be the AEW World Tag Team Champions? I don't know that I agree. Uh, the New Day, out, new, what did I say? New Day Outlaws? The New Age Outlaws comparison. Um, this is, I know that the Outlaws were shticky. I get it, but they were adult yes. and serious. These guys are shticky and corny. Hey. No, they were. They, they in, in many not their entire run, but they beat the shit out of people. They were cursed. You know, yes. like it, it was it was adult. Um, this is very corny. The the acclaimed by comparison. Again, I love them. I do love the acclaimed. Um, I don't need them to be champions. Not everyone. I not everyone needs lot. to be champion. I think there's a, a lot of potential, like going heel, doing something like that, beating the shit out of people. I, th- I think there's a lot more you can do with them, and I just sure. I hope they get that chance. We'll see. Look, they're they're young, so if they develop their characters and gimmicks. Yeah and it changes a little bit, then yeah, there's definitely that possibility. In terms of right now, the way they're composed, I don't need it. Uh, Brian Danielson against Chris Jericho is scheduled for the card. We did have a lot happen on Dynamite here. Uh, Danielson fought Jake Hager before the match. Jericho said the hearts may actually agree that Brian is a better wrestler if they were alive, uh, but they would appreciate Jericho's accomplishments in the industry more. Daniel Garcia then stepped up and apologized for being disrespectful. Over the last couple of weeks, he pledged his loyalty to Jericho and JAS, saying he knew Jericho could beat Danielson clean one-on-one in the ring. As far as the match, Hager immediately put Brian through that table outside. He reached the ropes to escape the label lock and caught Brian with a Uranagi, but Danielson came back with the psycho knee for the win. Really fun match, man. I, I, I am not a Jake Hager fan, but they worked really well together. No surprise, it's Brian. Uh, 3.75 stars on the B+. Hager did come across really well, like I said, as the bigger guy to Brian's smaller guy that he needed to overcome. Uh, Menard and Parker attacked immediately after the bell. Claudio and Yuta made the save. Jericho ran down with a chair, but Garcia followed and pulled it away from him. Jericho was incensed and Brian caught him distracted with the psycho knee. Brian then gave Garcia a pat on the butt on his way out, but it didn't really seem at least that Garcia did it purposefully to help Danielson. He seemed frustrated by the entire thing. I actually think it's a good little angle they have going here. Classic storyline swerve with Garcia planning to do one thing, but then having those plans reversed by the actions of others who he wanted to believe in, like a teammate that you're trying to help ends up screwing you over by accident and then you second guess yourself. That's basically what this is. It's going to be really interesting to see whether he or others factor into this and help decide the finish in one direction or the other. Jericho is in this situation now where like he wins feuds sometimes that he really shouldn't. The Eddie Kingston one being a great example. Where, but you have Brian Danielson, and I don't think that Tony Khan can overlook that this guy 
is one of the maybe three or four biggest stars in, in his entire company and arguably the best wrestler in the entire world. So maybe Daniel, uh, I was gonna say Danielson, maybe Daniel Garcia comes down and tries to pump up Jericho, but Jericho gets distracted. Brian wins, Jericho and Garcia then get into a feud and, and that happens and Garcia joins the BCC. I don't exactly know what the booking is going to be here. I think I'd actually be kind of upset if Jericho won. So I'm going to go ahead and pick Danielson, but I do think it could go in either direction. I, I think we get Danielson beats Jericho and Dante Martin prevents Jericho from cheating. Kind of what we got at, at the end of, of Dynamite. So like a repeat. Of um, okay. Yeah, it, it could it could be something like that. Or we could see, or maybe they set up the same thing and you think the same thing's going to happen. Then Dante Martin turns on Brian Danielson and he stays with... Jericho Appreciation Society. Like, I, I don't know. This 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 BCC Jericho Appreciation Society thing has gone on for so long with so many different mixes and matches that it's kind of like, I don't know if this is I don't know. I don't know when the end is gonna happen. The end of the story is Daniel Martin joining the Blackpool Combat Club. But that could be now, that could be two months from now. Like, that's the thing. That's a hard thing to pick. I, I'm always I'm always thinking, hey, AEW, pay-per-view, this is the moment you do all the big things. But that's not how they do it. They'll, they'll save them for TV specials and do other things. And so, like, maybe the Dante Martin thing doesn't happen on this one. I don't know. But I'm, I, I agree that Jericho wins feuds he shouldn't. Maybe he wins this match, but loses at some special event. That's what we thought was going to with, happen with Eddie Kingston, and it didn't. It didn't, right. So I, it makes it hard to predict, which I, I guess credit to AW and Tony Khan in, in that sense. Um, but I'm I'm picking Danielson. I just, I know, we know Dan, Dante Martin's going to be involved in some form. So we'll, sure. we'll see, but I, I guess I'll go Danielson. So uh, let's go to the AEW Trios Championship Tournament Final. Uh, it's going to be the Elite. Uh, well, the, I should say, I'm sorry. The Elite already fought Will Ospreay and Aussie Open and beat them to advance. We will not know who their opponent is, technically, until after Rampage, less than 48 hours before the show. I believe Rampage is actually live on Friday, so I couldn't even tell you a spoiler if I ha if I could. Um, it's either going to be Dark Order or Best Friends, given the Elite are already in the final. I mean, I don't know how you put Best Friends in this. So I'm quite sure it's going to be Dark Order with Hangman Page as the third on their team. There will probably be a little resentment between the Young Bucks and Paige because Paige told them in that backstage segment that he was going to support Dark Order and not wrestle in the tournament, blah, blah, blah. We already talked about all of this earlier. Let's just go ahead and get to a prediction. You know, I think it would kind of be interesting if they put Dark Order over, like, you know, giving them a boost and putting Hangman Page in a position where he can kind of rebuild himself with a title around his waist. But I don't really know that anyone wants John Silver and Alex Reynolds to hold these titles. Um, also, consideration here is the elite have been basically booked as baby faces. Even though Kenny Omega is still with Don Callis, they're getting cheers. They were the faces against Osprey and Aussie Open. So this is going to be a babyface versus babyface match, no matter where, you know, which way you slice it. So one of two things is either going to happen. Either the elite turns heel or they don't and they stay face and uh, maybe Paige turns heel because he's upset after this. I don't really know. I think these trios titles exist uh, because of the elite. They waited for the elite to come back to start the tournament. So therefore, the elite are going to walk out as the inaugural champions. 
that's my pick as well. But I, I, I do think I'm, I'm picking Dark Order to make the finals as well. But like, and like, I do, I do see a possibility. Like the story of Hangman and the Dark Order and their friendship and the popular guy being friends with the weird guys. Like, it's been a great story that they've told over years now, essentially, at this point. And fans really like John Silver and, and Alex Reynolds. They're huge on BTE. Very, very funny guys. I, I, I hope Dark Order makes the finals because I'm excited for them to get that opportunity, at least that showcase to be in a paper. I don't know if they've been in a pay-per-view match like that before. So I hope they win. I hope they get that spot. They deserve it. I could see a situation similar to you know, when the Young Bucks lost a private party early on in AEW and, and the Young Bucks, you know, weren't the first AEW tag team champs. It was Omega and Paige, right? Were they the first tag team champs? Mm-hmm. Yes. No, no, it was. No, it was um, SCU. SCU was the first uh, tag team champ. So like there have been oh, situations. Oh, the first tag like, team champions. I'm sorry. Yeah, yes. yeah. Okay. There have been situations where you think, oh, the elite's going to be the first one to do this, the first one to win this. Kenny Omega's going to be the first champ, yada, yada. And it doesn't always play out that way so like i do think it's possible the dark order win um but but i am picking the elite here i think you know kenny omega being back the fact that he's in the trios tournament not doing a singles thing like it it makes perfect sense so i'm picking them let's move to the interim aew women's championship tony storm against Britt baker jamie Hayter, and hikaru shida in a fatal four-way match to determine the interim champion uh, on Dynamite, we had them in a tag team match, Storm and Sheeta against Baker and Hater. This was in the first hour for a change, which was nice. Baker went on to put her glove when Sheeta caught her with a springing kick. She pulled Hater off the apron as Storm hit a hip attack on Baker and a tornado DDT off the apron on Hater outside. She hit the hip attack on Baker, I should say. Uh, Sheeta then roundhouse kicked Baker for the win. Excellent women's tag team match. This probably would have been the first or second best women's tag team match in the recent WWE tournament. It also, though, included, let's be candid, three of the top four women in the entire company in terms of in-ring ability. And every woman in AEW somehow looks better when Sheeta wrestles with them. She is just incredible. Yep. I thought it was a yep. great way to set up a title match that didn't have a lot of build. I mean, 3.5 stars and B for the match itself. When it comes to the interim women's championship, um, Sheeta's not taking the title. Let me just say that off the bat. That narrows it down to three options. Hater, I think a lot of fans really want her to win, but I don't know that it makes sense to put the title on her before she and Britt Baker have a falling out. Whether it's Hater taking the title off Bader down the line, Bader, <laughs> Baker down the line, or whether it's Hater overcoming Baker, this is a tongue twister, uh, to then become number one contender and eventually win the title off someone else. I do think that should be her storyline. So that, for me, narrows it down to Tony Storm and Britt Baker. Now, coming into the original match, Thunder Rosa against Tony Storm, it was a no-brainer for me that Storm was winning. I, I thought the title would change. They didn't do it the first time. They were going to change it the second time, just like how Britt Baker beat Thunder Rosa the first time and then Rosa beat her the second time. So I assumed it was going to be the exact same booking. But I need to say, with the baby faces looking so dominant on the go-home, and Baker taking the fall in this match, it just kind of gave me that feeling of, well, maybe it's going to be Britt Baker winning the title. And then she goes against Thunder Rosa. Rosa beats her. Then Storm gets to fight Rosa and takes the title from her. I don't 
that's not going to be my prediction. Um, I am going with a lot of baby faces on this show, but I am going to have Tony Storm walk out as champion because I believe that's the original booking. And there is really no good reason that you cannot have Tony Storm pin Jamie Hayter or even Akaru Shida and walk out with the title without forcing Baker to take two falls. So I am picking Storm. Uh, Baker would be my 1B. If I if it was ranked choice, uh, my order would be Storm 1, Baker 2. Make Tony Storm your champion. Finally, please, just do it. We've been talking about this all the time, and it's Months. just like they've just been waiting and waiting and waiting and not doing it. Just do it. My, the pick is Tony Storm here. Hopefully that was the original plan, and they'll stick to it. But yes, I am terrified we're going to get another Britt Baker title run because... I mean, that would be the Britt Baker is the Charlotte Flair of the AEW women's division, where it's just like, you know, that they trust her and like her and that in a pinch, they'll throw a belt on her or they'll give her a spot. And I think that's very, 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 very possible. Um, but I'm, I'm picking Tony Storm. All right. And that leaves us with the AEW World Championship main event. I did technically give it away earlier, but I'm still going to pause and build up the uh, anticipation here, even though I kind of screwed up. John Moxley against TBA, an open contract that needs to be signed. So you may say, hey, where did this open contract come from? Well, I'm going to tell you right now. On Rampage, let's start with that. Uh, you didn't see this, but AEW promoted on social media that there would be bonus footage from the Punk Mox match last week, theoretically, to better explain the injury in the storyline and all that. They zoomed in on Punk's roundhouse kick, ignoring what 150 fans decided to reply and quote retweet me, the supposed injury, which was a purposeful sell of the plant foot. So they completely ignored that. And then when we come to Dynamite on Wednesday, they don't show it at all. So they kind of washed away the fact that this guy seemingly got seriously injured to explain their booking one week ago. The only extra footage we got on Rampage was 20 seconds of Punk saying, I felt a pop. I haven't felt anything like that before. That's a bad thing because the last time I was hurt, I didn't even realize it. AEW does have a tendency to overpromote and overpromise things. Tony Khan, I'm looking at you. This was ridiculous. Uh, I hadn't seen that. And that is weird. Right. I prompted you to speak and you already <laughs> told me you didn't see Rampage. So that was a bad on my part as a host. Let's go to Dynamite then. So John Moxley opened Dynamite to a really big pop as the undisputed champion until he got in the ring where there was a mixed reaction in Chicago with obvious CM Punk chants. Mox said Punk is still being mopped off the mat in Cleveland. He called himself the heart and soul of AEW saying Punk curled into a ball and folded when he met adversity. Mox said Punk disappointed everyone given he got a second chance at wrestling. It didn't work out and he had zero sympathy for him because Punk has a fragile ego and body weak mind and spirit. Mox then dropped an open contract in the ring saying he's the embodiment of pro wrestling. And then he warned his challenger, don't take it because I'm going to F you up. After Mox left, AEW producer Ace Steel ran into the ring and grabbed the contract, putting it in his pocket. So when we break all this down, Chris, I want to talk about the execution before we talk about the actual storyline. This was an expert level promo for Mox. Seriously, you could not help but be completely captivated by him on the mic in the middle of that ring. He completely owned the crowd and he came across exactly as domineering as he claimed to be. It really piqued my interest. 
one would think an open challenge being thrown on the mat would lead the locker room like scrambling out of catering or preparation for what's going on, running to the ring to grab that contract. Ace Steel taking it was a tease for quote unquote smarks in the know. Uh, Steel is from Chicago. He literally trained CM Punk. So anyone who knew that obviously had an inkling of what was going to happen, not necessarily on the show, but by the time All Out came around. And then commentary kind of hammered it home with a couple of punches to the gut to let you know who that was and why it was important that he grabbed it. But even after Ace Steel grabbing it, you would think at some point during the show, there would be wrestlers coming up to him, hey, let me get that contract and him preventing them from taking it or him locking himself in an office and you know, barricading himself and not letting anyone get in. Why there wasn't a rush from this roster whose all of their goal has to be to be the AEW World Heavyweight Champion to me was a major plot hole. But in terms of the execution, mocks in the ring, the promo, expert tier. I don't know whether it will be one of the best promos of the year at year end, but it was certainly fantastic. Yeah, not promo of the year, but it was terrific. It This felt like Mox's victory lap. This felt like, look, CM Punk got the upper hand on him a couple weeks ago when they went face-to-face. This felt like Mox being able to say what he wanted to say. Sometimes he rambles a bit in his promos, but he had a, he nailed this one from start to finish, establishing himself as the top guy, not only in AEW, but in pro wrestling. Not, you don't have to agree with that, but just that was him expressing that and he 100% got Yeah, he place. came across the way he, what he laid out for himself. Absolutely. So let's move to the segment later in the show on Dynamite. CM Punk entered at the end of the first hour saying he pulverized his foot June 1st, stupidly wrestled anyway, and had surgery on June 8th with 16 screws put into his foot. Then he insulted some fan by calling him a fat virgin. I assume the guy was heckling him, but I have no idea why he did that. It was... The, so totally there was... Bad. Some people on Twitter thought he was yelling Colt Cabana. I don't know if that's true, oh, but maybe. there were he he was getting heckled at the beginning of that promo. Even so, to to stop yourself and just as a babyface call it a fan like that. I mean, you got to be above yeah. that. One would think so. Yes, I and I'm also glad AEW didn't like show the guy on camera. I was worried they were they gonna, did like, do that. They did. Oh, did they? Oh, yeah, not immediately, but like they came back around and showed the guy. I couldn't even. Believe. Okay, it was it was absolutely wild. I think at I least think I think it was the same guy. It was a heavy guy. So there's plenty of heavy people. So I, I don't know if it was the exact guy, but it seemed like the, the exact area that he was pointing. It was probably 10 seconds or 15 seconds later. So okay. yeah, yeah, I wasn't thrilled with that. Anyway, uh, Punk said he made a mistake coming back too early, even though he was cleared 100% to return. He said he's just not sure whether Punk at full health now is good enough. So his new version of what 100% is. Punk talked about letting people down and wondered if love for the game just wasn't enough. That led Steele out, saying this wasn't what we discussed backstage. Steele gave him some tough love. He screamed in his face. He smacked him across the face. And then he took the contract that he stole from the ring and shoved it into his chest with a pen, starting to get fans to chant his name. Punk hugged Steele, screamed that they haven't found a man to kill him since he's been born and jumped into the crowd. He then got amongst the fans and cut a hometown rallying promo, basically painting himself as a representative of the entire city of Chicago, which can't be killed or put down by anyone else. And presumably he signed the contract. Mox then came out after the ensuing commercial to confirm the match was happening and promised to show Punk a level of violence he's never experienced. 
and no one has ever seen, saying he'll take his head off if necessary. The only person's head who I think is coming off is Mox, who's probably going to blade 17 times. Whole thing's going to be red. Uh, but from a quality standpoint, again, we're talking about execution and quality to start. From a quality standpoint, CM Punk nailed it on the mic here. He told the first story really well. And then with Ace's Steel's help, and, and by the way, Ace Steel did a great job too. He whipped the Chicago crowd into an absolute frenzy. There is no doubt about that. Mox coming back out, I thought it was unnecessary, but he's so good on the mic, it's hard to argue with letting him talk more. But that's not really the question here. We will discuss the storyline in a moment. Before we get to that, I do want to at least give AEW credit for executing the plan that they created exceedingly well on Wednesday night. Yeah, they they, they had a plan. They got to it. So credit to sticking with that. But so we're talking about this. We're just talking about the CM Punk promo. Itself, we're talking right? about right. Mox's promo, Punk's promo, the execution and how the crowd reacted to the entire look, thing in the moment, by, in, look, in, in, in a vacuum is what we're talking by about. By the end, yes, they got the home crowd, Chicago crowd there into it. But he was getting heckled and booed, not booed, but a little booed, and like talked over during the beginning of his promo. Like yes. he Punk was trying to take them really low to then bring them up really high. Mm-hmm. But the crowd had no interest in going low with him because they didn't buy it. It was confusing for him to say he came back too early, maybe, but he's 100% and cleared. Uh, that was weird. But he And was didn't address to- the injury or what happened. Just that, yes, oh, was, I, it, it hurt me and I didn't realize that that's how it's going to be now. Like, how did I, you not realize I, that? Didn't I, you train? Yeah, I, I, like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know exactly what that meant. So he he want, he was trying to get low, try to be sad and somber. The crowd was not with him on it. They just, they weren't doing it. And so the A-Steel, but then, but then when A-Steel comes out and they do the Chicago stuff, crowd got really into it by the end. No denying that. They got them up to where they wanted to get up. The journey there was not the exact journey they wanted to take, so they got there. But I thought, especially the first half of, of Punk's promo was just corny as hell. Like, it's just, it, nobody believed it. Th- these are all the smart fans right. in the audience, and we're trying to think, all right, like, did 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 Tony, did Tony, did Tony Khan book you to lose because people were mad at you or because they wanted to change the dynamic going into this? Like, that's how they're thinking of it. Nobody believes that that he's actually hurt, considering clearly that's where they were going to at this point. Right. So that was already gone. So it was it was it was a little convoluted in how they got to the end. They got to where they wanted in the end. That's fine. But. I you could have you could have to me you could have cut the second half of that promo just use that and not done anything else you'd done over the previous week to to me like of course the, the, of course that's my whole issue there was it was complete you didn't need to do this there was so much heat on this two weeks ago and then they just blew it all away and then tried to build it back up at the end he could have tweaked was, he, he could have tweaked himself while training and. Um, been questionable for the match all of a sudden, and and AEW. Well, why did we? Yeah, why did we need Punk losing going into this match? So, it did nothing. So let's get to that, that. That's 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 my that's my whole thing because the the bit two weeks ago when they were face to face, that was one of my segments of the year. I thought that was hot. That was fire as hell. And then they just 
used it he, for a nothing match, and now they tried to build it back up. I feel like you, I'm like, you wasted my time over the last two. He could have done that same spot during the pull-apart brawl, hurt himself during the brawl. Maybe someone rolls up on his foot. There's a million different things they could have done, skipping the middle part. But okay, look, as I alluded to, right, the execution on Wednesday was not really the question here. I, I said there was a question that we had to answer. The question is about the quality of the storyline, a main event storyline for one of your biggest shows featuring arguably your two most popular performers in your entire company. Is this the worst booking ever? Of course it's not. There's been far worse. But is this good booking? It's absolutely not good booking. What exactly was the purpose of this entire thing? To make Mox's title reign more legitimate to remove the interim tag, that was unnecessary. To get Punk cheered in Chicago, obviously that's unnecessary. Was this just to pop a rating last week so they could get over that 1 million threshold and make people happy? I certainly believe that's plausible, but it would pretty much be an indictment of Tony Khan if so. In the end, this accomplished nothing. If you are from Chicago, and attending this show on Sunday, I have absolutely no doubt that this popped you because you probably love your city and you love CM Punk. And now that you have Punk out here, not only as a Chicago native, but as the literal personification of the city, that's what they did here, then that works. But if you're a fan from anywhere else in the country, did this really pop you? Or did you care more that a guy who sold a severe injury one week ago was not only uninjured, but 100% cleared again to compete for a title that he just lost in a three-minute squash? This despite Punk being on the verge of retirement until someone you've never seen before, someone whose relationship with Punk was introduced to the live audience only 45 minutes prior convinced him to change his mind. How many times do we need to get beaten over the head with CM Punk is from Chicago. Chicago loves CM Punk. Punk wins a title in Chicago. And even if you're going to do that storyline, it's something that should have been developed over three to four months, at least four to five weeks, okay? Not literally one week. Now, if there was another part to the entire thing, Let's make believe this was WWE and MJF had the Money in the Bank briefcase. Punk goes through all of this, wins in Chicago, MJF's music hits. He makes that return. He cashes in. He becomes champion. He gets booed out of the building. People throw things at him. If something like that was on the table, okay, now you've accomplished something. But even if an MJF or let's say a Bray Wyatt shows up after this match, was this booking necessary to improve that potential surprise? Absolutely not. So again, Chris, unless you're a Chicagoan, this was overbooked, overly complicated, and forced. It was a circle that wound up in the exact same spot. I'm still going to order the show. I'm still excited to see a real Punk Mox title match, but that does not mean the booking was good because it simply was not, even if it was executed well on Wednesday. And there are a ton of people out there conflating strong execution with quality booking. Those are two completely different things. This was quite the opposite of quality storytelling. 
Look, what's a bigger match going into a pay-per-view? CM Punk, who got squashed two weeks ago, is going to try it again? Or champion versus champion, who's the real AEW world champion? Like, it's the second one. Like, there was so much heat and excitement for that first meeting. And then to do it that way, now we're like, we're only talking about it in smart terms. Like, oh, they wanted to book it because they wanted to do That's not how you sell a pay-per-view. You sell a pay-per-view, like, oh man, here are the two biggest guys. They're both the champions. Who's the real one? Let's see it. Like, that's how you sell a pay-per-view. I, it's just a complete convoluted waste of time. I don't understand why they needed to. Why did they need it to make CM Punk the underdog in Chicago for some reason, as opposed to having him be the world champion and go into the match. Hey, it's his first match back. Does he still have it? We'll see. He's going up against Box, who's on a tear. Like, that's the story. Like, you just, I keep saying they just threw it away, but they they really did. I, it was it was really a waste of time. I'm excited for the match. We haven't even gotten into our picks yet, but right. just, it was really annoying to get back to the same spot. It was. It's, it's a classic AEW overbooking situation. Yeah, and it wasn't one of those like, oh, they took us on a journey and it may not have been the journey we wanted, but it ended up being really good and got us into a good spot. It wasn't. It just, it was bad. <laughs> it just, it was bad booking, bad creative, not well done in terms of the thought out process of the entire thing. Uh, congratulations on getting your rating two weeks ago. Maybe you're going to get another nice rating this Wednesday, um, but All Out better really deliver something if you want that trend to continue because- if it's just this match and we'll talk about predictions in a minute, then I don't really know that it will be a big swing for them. Uh, Nick Flynn at nflynn underscore 17, he wrote in, is it just me or are they really doing a Clubber Lang Rocky storyline with Mox and CM Punk? First of all, I need to ask, have you seen the Rocky movies, Chris? Yes. Okay. Do you know what he's referring to here? Yes. I okay. haven't watched him in forever. <laughs> I have to check. I, I have to check with you. Well, yes. That's an indictment no, on you too, because there should never be a period of time where you haven't, with, that, with the exception of Rocky V, uh, there should never be a period of time where you can say you haven't seen a certain Rocky movie in forever. There should be constant Look, there's a lot of movies, there's year. a lot of TV shows going on. It's hard to find time in the day. I, be, I am of the belief that every one of the Rocky movies, except five, should be viewed at least once per year. But that's fine. Um, he said, I may be crazy. This is how it feels so far to me, minus the running in short shorts on the beach montage. But see, Nick, that's the difference in this. In that storyline, Rocky got beat down. He had to regain his confidence and train over a number of months to get back to the point where he was able to overcome this monumental obstacle in Clubber Lang. This happened in a week. That training montage is the exact difference between a good storyline and a bad storyline. And I'm not suggesting they should have done a 80s training montage. What I'm saying is the time period of training, regaining oneself. If they had legitimately canceled this match and rebooked it for the next pay-per-view four months from now, and we had, we're taking on a journey with CM Punk where all this was happening, that would have made a lot of sense. If this pay-per-view wasn't in Chicago and they, the next one was, it would have made the doing this storyline this way would have made a ton of sense because then after four months, Punk's back in his hometown with all the momentum behind him. He signs an open contract. Boom, he has the match. But that's not what they did. They shoved it into seven days. And that's the reason it was bad. Chris, I'm going to go ahead. It's the main event. I'm going to let you go ahead and make your prediction first. Who is going to win? John Moxley, now the undisputed AEW world champion 
or CM Punk. It better be CM Punk <laughs> after what they did over the last two weeks. If you're gonna if you're gonna squash CM Punk only to have him lose again to Moxie, I'm gonna be even more pissed off about the match we got two weeks ago. So I think it's CM Punk. Look, the the injury was unexpected. His reign was stunted. You get back on track with what you were planning to do with Punk as champ. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think you go see him Punk in Chicago. Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, could they swerve us with Mox and someone coming out after and, and being a surprise challenger, whether it's a debut uh, like a Bray Wyatt or a return, an MJF or an Adam Cole? They could certainly do that. Um, and, and they can certainly do it if CM Punk wins too. But I, I just don't know that there's anything more to do with Mox as champion because there is not a singular person out there where you say, that's the man who's going to get put over at the end of this entire thing. That person in terms of AEW right now, as far as I can see based on their booking, does not exist. I think more likely would be CM Punk winning the title and that person potentially being MJF a heel. Don't forget, Mox is now the heel in this storyline. And um, he did get booed a little bit here. He was cheered also, yes, but he was booed. Uh, so the, their goal is to establish CM Punk as a massive babyface, I have to assume, to be the other side of the coin for MJF, the massive heel, to come back and get a title match. The problem, I think, with that conceptualization is everyone wants MJF back. They want to cheer for MJF. Even mm -hmm. when MJF cursed out Tony Khan the last time we saw him on screen, they were cheering for him. And you would then say, well, Mox perhaps would be the right person because he would be a heel. But what I think they're going to do, and I'm booking the damn territory, and I know it's getting convoluted, but sometimes their booking is convoluted, is Punk wins as a babyface, MJF at some point returns down the line as a babyface uh, and Punk becomes not just the personification of Chicago, which he already is, but the personification of what the quote AEW originals think is wrong about AEW, which is the influx of the WWE guys, the guys who are already stars, older, who said they would put over young talent, but really in reality have not. Most of those veterans and legends have come in and won their matches and won their feuds and been champion. Look at the people who are champions. You have, in terms of originals, I guess, Kenny Omega, who was already a massive star in Japan, and Hangman Page is the only one of them who has really been like a homegrown original who was not a world champion previously. Otherwise, it's Chris Jericho and John Moxley and CM Punk. Those are your guys. And CM Punk is the greatest personification of what, quote unquote, is wrong with AEW uh, for the AEW originals. So you have Hangman Page as a potential challenger, you have MJF as a potential challenger. All roads lead to CM Punk leaving All Out as champion. So that is indeed my prediction. Chris, the MJF oh, part. Sorry, the, sorry the, real quick. The no, MJF part of this is interesting because him coming back at some point, he is the new CM Punk. He literally did a pipe bomb and got cut off and left mm -hmm. the company. Like it, it's the whole thing. You can tell the story of. MJF versus CM Punk. Hey, I'm the new CM Punk. But they kind of already sort of did. They already did the story of MJF looking up to CM Punk in their relationship. They I don't did. know if you can go back to that so quickly or not. MJF, I don't know when he comes back. I haven't really loved him being completely gone for so long. But 
I don't know. I, I'm still I'm still interested. He's going to be over massive when he gets back. He is. You want to talk about pillars? He's the real future foundation of of the company. How much of the him and Tony Khan relationship stuff was a work and a shoot? You know, we'll see. But he has to get the title at some point. I'd love for him to be the guy to take it off Punk. But again, we just did a, a Punk feud. Your idea of of talk of hating the WWE guys came over the talking about the AEW originals. It it it, it sounds like a maybe more successful version of the New Blood versus the Millionaires Club <laughs> going back to late stage WCW. But I, I, I don't I, I don't I don't I don't want MJF fighting for a faction, fighting for something greater or whatever when he comes back. I want him fighting for him because that's what makes him great. I don't know. We're we're gonna want people are gonna think is he gonna show up at the end of the show. So I'm curious if they if if that happens or not. Um it's something to watch for. Absolutely. Alrighty. So that leaves us I did forget to mention this earlier, but that leaves us with our pre-show expectation grade for AEW all out as the only item remaining on this episode. A reminder, we will post a poll one hour before AEW All Out begins, basically at the start of zero hour. You guys will be able to vote yourselves on your pre-show expectation grade. We, of course, will discuss that on the Instant Analysis podcast later in the evening on Sunday. Chris, whenever we do the pre-show expectation grades and even the post-show grades, I always let you go first. It is the one of the few benefits you have here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. So let's go ahead and do that again. What is your pre-show expectation grade for AEW All Out? Well, first off, I thank you, AEW, for doing the show on a Sunday and not a Saturday. Uh, it makes it easier for me to watch as someone who's going to be doing college football. I'll be coming back from Atlanta on Sunday. We'll be home in time for the show. Look, there are some matches I'm really looking forward to and a lot of matches I am absolutely not. I'm between a B and a B plus. And look, I always talk about needing moments to define a show. I'm picking a new world champion. I'm picking a new women's champion. Um, So I'm going to say B plus. All right. I'm actually uh, a step lower than that. I'm at a B. I think it's going to be a very entertaining show from an in-ring work rate standpoint as AEW shows almost always are. But I think we've talked about it numerous times on this podcast. I need more than that. When I watch wrestling, yeah, I I care about work rate. I I give grades for matches sometimes, right? Um, But I also want to be super, super entertained by storylines. I want to get taken on a ride. And I want those storylines to occur, not just going into a match, but during the matches themselves. So I think it's a loaded card. 14 matches is insane. And when you consider that we're going to have uh, two WWE shows, Clash at the Castle on Saturday and NXT Worlds Collide preceding All Out, which have six matches each. There's going to be more on All Out than two WWE premium live events combined. It's just going to be an overwhelming amount of wrestling. So I am excited uh, for the show. I think it's going to be extremely good, but I don't know that it's going to be great. So AEW has a huge chance, in my eyes at least, to exceed expectations, uh, whereas WWE pretty much only has a opportunity to fall below expectations. Uh, both you and I gave WWE Clash of the Castle an A minus expectation grade, one of our highest expectation grades ever for any pay per view or premium live event. And I actually gave the exact same grade to NXT Worlds Collide because the card is so freaking stacked. So WWE has a lot to live up to. 
AEW with my B grade here, slightly below your B plus, they uh, certainly can exceed it by putting on a banger of a show. But given the build has been exceedingly weak, a lot of stuff was announced last minute and the main event storyline. It's just atrocious, even though the match may be good. Um, the AEW really has a chance to be like some WWE pay-per-views as of late, where we go in with a B expectation and they just blow us out of the water. That's the position I think AEW finds itself in entering all out. I do. I do think the fact that this is probably going to be a five hour show or longer again, weighs down on the AEW shows. There's, there ends up just being a lot of not crap, but a lot of just whatever in these shows, it weighs down the, the highlights and that makes it harder than I think normal to exceed expectations. I think the only AEW pay-per-view recent one that really blew me away, both of us, was Forbidden Door. But this isn't going to be a Forbidden Door. And that was purely so, the in-ring wrestling aspect of it. Yes, yes. And I we're, we're not expecting that level of wrestling in, in this either. So uh, it, it, it's a lot. It's all AEW shows, pay-per-views are a slog. I wish they weren't. I wish they would do this differently, but it's what they do. It is indeed. And this is what we do. We give you, they give you banger matches, um, maybe some lacking storylines, but the Silver King and Vintage, we give you banger ultimate previews and instant analysis podcasts for premium live events. So let me run down one more time what we've already done and what is still to come already published on this feed. Now that you have completed listening to the show, we have a WWE Clash at the Castle ultimate preview. We break down every match, picks, predictions, and storylines going forward. NXT Worlds Collide Ultimate Preview. Same thing. Break down every match and storyline, picks and predictions for what's going to happen going forward. We will be back on Saturday with our WWE Clash at the Castle Instant Analysis that will either happen as soon as the show goes off the air or perhaps in the evening, depending what actually goes down on that program and whether we can figure out a scheduling way for Chris and I to jump on the show at the same time. On Sunday, we will have an AEW All Out and NXT Worlds Collide combined instant analysis podcast. I can now tell by the matches that we just went over, we're going to have 20 matches to discuss on one instant analysis podcast. I will be as brief as we possibly can for that. But we'll have that on Sunday as soon as All Out goes off the air. And before uh, both of those instant analysis episodes, if you follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, you will be able to participate in pre and post show polls. So you can give us your own grades that we will discuss on those instant analysis shows. But we will also have live pre shows for you on Twitter spaces ahead of WWE Clash at the Castle, NXT Worlds Collide, and AEW All Out all this weekend. So do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, not only so you can participate in all of that, but so you can send us your thoughts, your questions, your comments on the show that we will read live on the air. But in addition to following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, please do not forget that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Let everyone know how much you love the show. Ratings and reviews matter so much to us. Thank you all for listening. We are going to take 24 hours of a break before we're back Saturday and then again on Sunday. Plenty more performance-enhancing audio for your ear holes coming up before the week is out. For Vintage Chris Manini, this is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.